liquid fast. All right. Um, we are going to look now at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Oh, let's just go to the end. <laughs> Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know what he said to me. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. From this text, I want to talk to you on the title, um, The Church in Troubled Times. Being the, what does it mean to be the church in troubled times? God, uh, once again, uh, speak to us in these few moments that we might gain a deeper understanding of who we are to be until your return. Who are we to be in this troubled world? In Jesus' name, amen. Last night I talked about living in a bizarro world, living in a world that is upside down and twisted and backwards and how to live as right-side-up people in an upside-down world. Uh, it, it, it should not be a shock to anyone that we are living in troubled times. Um, we are a more diverse nation, but yet it seems like we are just a more divided nation, at least recently, at least until Tuesday of next week. It looks like we are like very, very divided. Uh, we're, we're in troubled times where um, violence is the primary means to solve conflict, where in under-resourced, predominantly African-American communities, too many lives have been lost, whether that's West Side Chicago, we're in conflicts with police departments. We've seen police officers that play a role to serve and protect us, losing their lives in cities like Dallas. Uh, we've seen acts of terrorism throughout our country. Uh, here in the Bay Area, where we live, has one of the highest rates of girls being kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking. So girls are being victimized. They're just so many signs of brokenness, of sin, knowing that we live in troubled times. But yet, we are called to be people of hope, people of praise and worship, people of love and 
people of grace and truth and transformation during troubled times. And so I want to explore this text here in Revelation and look at um, three points that I want to present to you in how we can be the church, how we can be God's people of transformation and truth in troubled days, in troubled times. It says here in verse 9, after I looked, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Being the church during troubled times presents an opportunity for the church to look more and more like heaven. If there was ever a time that the church should strive in various ways to look more and more like heaven, that time is now. But we have to have a clear understanding of what heaven looks like. I mean, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my first like vision or understanding of heaven was, um, I, I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't think this is the case anymore, but when I was a kid, way back then, like Saturday morning cartoons were like a big deal. Like, you know, you had to endure school all week, but if you were a kid when I was growing up in the 70s and the 80s, if you could just make it to Saturday morning, oh my goodness, you could wake up on Saturday morning and see Bugs Bunny, you could see the Road Runner and the Coyote, you could see Popeye, you could see Daffy Duck, Oh, you can see Yosemite Sam. I mean, you can just make it to say Fat Albert and the gang. That was my cartoon, man. Fat Albert and the gang, like ghetto cartoon characters that look like me from the urban context. And I love some Fat Albert on, on Saturday morning. Man, and, and some, this is really going to give the age of some people in this room. Saturday was cool because you could go from Saturday morning cartoons to American Bandstand. If you know what American Bandstand is, you are old. I just want you to know, you, you, you can, if you go, you go up to somebody today, young people, just go up to adults and just randomly ask them, do you know what American Bandstand is? And if they say yes, you can go, you are old. Okay, you can just, American Bandstand, it was like a dance show, there was like music groups on it, it was kind of cool. Dick Clark, who's Dick Clark? Wow, that's messed up. All right, so anyway, um, Saturday morning cartoons were the first, yeah, Soul Train. Somebody said, I remember Soul Train. Yeah, Soul Train. That was like black American bandstand. All right, okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right, okay. So Saturday morning cartoons was the first time as a kid I thought about heaven. Because when I would watch cartoons, you know, on cartoons, like people died. Now the messed up theologies, they'd come back the next episode. But outside that part, like cartoon characters sometimes would die, like Tom or Jerry or, you know, or like, you know, the, um, something would blow up on the coyote as he was chasing the roadrunner and then he'd die. And if they were a good cartoon character, they would go to heaven. And how you knew they were going to heaven is that when they would die, they would have like a white robe on and they'd have a harp in their hand and they'd have wings and they'd have a halo over their head and they would float up on a cloud to heaven. And you're like, oh, that must have been a good cartoon character. But then other characters would go someplace else <laughs> and there'd be fire in the background and a dude with a pitchfork. And so you're like, oh, they didn't make it to heaven. Sorry, coyote. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, Yosemite Sam. Uh, they didn't make it. So I grew up as a kid, like, believing in cartoon heaven. 
I thought, you know, hey, one day I'm going to die, but if I'm good, I'll have a white shirt on, and I didn't want a harp. I wanted a drum set. So I had this vision that I have a white robe on and wings and a halo, and I would play the drum set all the way up to heaven. That was like my vision as a kid. But, you know, you get, you get older, you get, you get too big for cartoon heaven, right? So um, the next, the next uh, vision I had of heaven is when I went to college. Uh, I went to a high school in Minneapolis that was 80% black in the heart of the city. Uh, when I graduated, I went to a college, though, where I was one of eight black people on the whole campus. It was like culture shock. <laughs> Y'all said, oh, like you knew it was rough. <laughs> I was like, that must have been rough, Mr. Ephraim. Ooh. <laughs> and it was. It was because, I mean, I was used to being the majority in my high school, and then I went to college, and, you know, like there were some people looking at me like, you're the first live black person I've ever seen in my life. And I said, really? I see people like you all the time. But anyway, <laughs> so, but, uh, so I go to college, and, and it really was rough the, the, the first year. Uh, I mean, like, it was like rough stuff, like there was no hot sauce in the cafeteria, stuff like that. It was really, really, really. And so, uh, like, really? Golly, what kind of college is this? But um, so I didn't know if I could stay there all four years and graduate. I was like, maybe I need to find a college like high school, where I'm the majority. I don't, I don't know if I can stay here. And I remember um, I wanted to transfer, and I remember I was talking to my dad on the phone, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it, Dad. I think I need to transfer to a different school. And I remember my dad said two things to me. He said, you know what? You pray about it. And he said, um, if, you, if after you pray, if you want to transfer, um, then uh, you get one, one transfer. But whatever college you end up transferring, that's where you have to stay if I'm paying for it. And then the other thing he said, but you know what? What if God has you there for a reason? And he said, if God has you there for a reason, you can't leave. I was like, why you always got to bring up God? You know, <laughs> talking to you. But I couldn't say that to my dad. I was saying that in my brain. I got, got hit like Cousin O'Rail again. But, so I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't say that to my dad. I wouldn't say that to my dad. I was like, uh, for those of you that just got here, I'll tell you the Cousin O'Rell story later. Okay. But um, anyway, um, I went to the, this chapel on campus to pray. And when I went in there to pray, I looked up, and there was this mural. It's like it covered the whole wall, and it was heaven. And I knew it was heaven because there were angels, there was Jesus, there were biblical characters, and there were clouds, so it was up high somewhere. So I was like, oh, it must be heaven. But I, but I got to tell you, what I noticed, I don't know why I never noticed this till now, like everybody in the mural was white. Like, like the biblical characters were white, the angels were white, Jesus, the lamb. Well, the lamb was supposed to be white. That don't count. But, and, and this is going to sound silly because at the time I, I was 18 years old, and so this is going to sound real silly, but I looked at it and I was like, man, I wonder if there's a place in heaven for me. And so I was too big for cartoon heaven. I was too brown for all white heaven. So now I, I did end up staying at that school and graduating. But it's like, and, and I'm a Christian. I become a youth pastor after I graduate college. But I really didn't want to talk about heaven. I mean, I would, this sounds really silly. I would talk to people about Jesus. I would talk about the Bible. I would talk about becoming a Christian. But I really wouldn't talk about heaven. Because I was too big for cartoon heaven. I was too brown for all white heaven. And, I, and, and so for me, I didn't talk about heaven. You know, it's interesting to me in general. It, it's interesting how, like, um, you can be in church or you can be around Christian people 
And people, they might feel comfortable talking about God or Jesus or why they believe in Jesus. But it's interesting to me that I, I and I, I get around the country. I, I'm fortunate. I preach in a lot of churches. I connect with a lot of Christians. And it's interesting. Christians don't talk to non-Christians that much about heaven, about the kingdom of God. Now, that might be because maybe we grew up in a church where they didn't preach about that or teach about that much. Maybe it's because, like, you read through the book of Revelation and it just seemed real complicated. Or, like, whenever Jesus said something about the kingdom of God, it just kind of sounded kind of out there. And so it's like, or if you talk about heaven, it assumes you got to die to get there. So you don't want to talk about that, right? So that makes it awkward because it's like everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's the only way you can get there. So people don't really want to talk about it. And, but I think that for people to come to know Jesus and to grow as a believer, one of the ways to introduce them to that journey is for them to experience the kingdom of God right now. I mean, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew said to his followers, you know, we should pray something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that's talking about heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven showing up now is like key to people experiencing God. You could put it this way. People experience God because through our lives they experience the kingdom of God on some level. Uh, Eventually, I had to really be willing to study and discover more about heaven and more about the kingdom of God so that more of heaven, the kingdom of God, could show up to other people through my life. Through our lives, the kingdom of God is supposed to show up for people. People are supposed to experience what is going on in the kingdom of God. And so part of that is our ability to build relationships cross-culturally, to feel comfortable building relationships across race, to build relationships with people that are different than us, that grew up in an environment that was totally different than us, that uh, they believe things politically totally different than what we believe, they have philosophies and ideals that are totally different, maybe they grew up in a different country and then they moved here. What I'm really trying to say, and I I don't want to get too complicated with it, but it's the best way I know how to say it to you, All of us are going to have to think like missionaries. I mean, the Bay Area is becoming more and more multicultural, more and more diverse. Various nations and people groups are already among us. We're going to have to figure out how to build friendships, how to build relationships, how to share Jesus, how to make disciples with people, amongst people that are different than what we would consider our people. Because that's what heaven's about. Heaven through Christ Jesus, is going to be this place eternally that brings together people of different nations, different languages, different nationalities, different ethnicities. In heaven, you won't be able to say, my nation's better than yours. My nation, we're better, we're number one. Because uh, there'll just be one king in heaven, and we won't be voting for There won't be no primaries in heaven. Won't be no presidential debates in heaven. Won't have to turn on CNN or Fox in heaven. 
Won't have to go to no poll. It's already been established. All you can do is just worship the one that will forever be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That, 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 like, that's good news. So Christ, as king, at the center of all things, is able to draw all people into unity. It says here there's going to be a multitude that no one could count. That means when we get to heaven, it'll be... Now, everybody's not going to be in heaven because some people are going to choose not to be. I mean, it's sad. I wish it wasn't the case. But some people are going to go, that's all right. I'm doing my own thing. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. Thank you very much, but I'm all right. So some people aren't going to go. But, but there's still going to be this multitude that no one can count, and it's going to be incredible. It's going to be very diverse. It's going to be multi-ethnic, multilingual. We won't be able to say in heaven, English only. This is heaven. You know what the main language is here? The main language is not English in heaven. Jesus' main language was not English, just so you know. But whatever languages are going to be spoken, we're all going to be speaking them all. That's how dynamic it's going to be. That's how powerful it's going to be. You're going to hear praise and worship. You're going to hear prayers. You're going to hear hallelujahs. You're going to hear like all these, and you're going to be blessed by it. You're not going to be irritated with it. Well, I don't even know what he's saying. You're not going to be irritated. You ever get on the elevator and somebody's speaking a different language than you and you go, I wonder if they're talking about me. <laughs> Will you speak it so I know what you're saying? How I know you're not calling me a dirty dog right here on this elevator? How do I know you're saying, I don't even like the way he smells on the elevator because I don't know what you're saying, man. Can't do that. Won't do that in heaven. We'll be like, this is so awesome. What if we could practice that now? What if we, as a church, trusted God to look more like heaven? That, that one of the ways that, that our church family would grow and expand and experience God in powerful ways is go, you know what, this is uncomfortable, but it's cool. Like, I'm not used to this, but this is awesome. I don't know where this is going to land, but I'm glad we're jumping this direction, that we would look more and more like heaven. The, the church in troubled times needs to be a force of reconciling people to God and reconciling people with, to one another. The church is like, it, it's the one, probably the last place that I'm holding out that people that disagree with each other can find Jesus and become brothers, can become sisters. I don't, I don't know what other place can we look to where people that would in any other venue, they would be enemies, but in the church, they become family. The church is going to have to look like heaven so that we can reconcile people to God and reconcile them to one another so that they can find a unity and a sense of family. But you know what? The church shouldn't just look like heaven. I think the church should operate like heaven. Like, I think some of the, like, Stuff that's going on in heaven, that's operating in heaven, should operate in the church. It's not enough to just look like heaven. I mean, to just look diverse would not be enough for the church. I mean, the Super Bowl looks diverse. You know what I mean? Baseball games look diverse. Outlet malls look diverse. But people aren't trying to, like, build relationships. I mean, if you were at an outlet mall and somebody said, you know, I'd really like to get to know you. You'd say, hey, I'm just trying to buy a shirt. I mean, that'd throw you off if you, if, you were, you know, if you were at a diverse setting and somebody just came up to you. I just want to welcome you to this football game. Who are you? 
I mean, unless you're, you know, I mean, but, but church is like the place where we're not just looking like heaven, but like we operate like heaven. We build relationships. We become family. We, we live in the messiness of each other's lives to the glory of God so that people are transformed. It says here in verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So how do we operate like heaven now? In heaven, people are saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving power and honor forever. In in heaven, there is this sustained praise. In heaven, there's a sustained joy. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Uh, the, The worst thing that we could get from Christians in troubled times right now, the worst thing we could get from the church right now in troubled times is like, like just mean, down, sad faced Christians. Like, there are some Christians right now, they're just real sad-faced right now. Look at this world. Oh, Jesus better hurry up and come back. Look at our country. Look at our city. Look at our state. This is horrible. Oh, my gosh. We can't even pray. No, you know what we're supposed to do? We're, We're supposed to, in troubled times, we're supposed to still figure out a way, as hard as it might be, to have joy, to have praise, to have hope, and go, we're still the victorious people. We, we follow a God whose love and grace and truth will win. We are a victorious people. We are a victorious church, and we got to hold out hope. And if people just look at Christians and look at the church, and we just seem like just sad-faced people that just like, oh, we're just, we're just losing on everything. Look at our city. Right, look, at, look, at, look at all the things that are being passed. Look at what they've done. I mean, sad face, like, you know what I'm talking about? When you just get around, like, they just sad face down, just angry Christians. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be frustrated about things. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what, if we're going to operate like heaven as the church, people have to see us as a hopeful people, a people of faith, a people of peace, a people of justice, a people of love, a people of grace, a people of forgiveness, a people of truth, yes. But we're a people that should never lose our hallelujah. Is there still a hallelujah in you? Is there still a praise? Or would people say, I don't want to follow like that Jesus, like angry, mad, like get out of my face Jesus. I don't want to accept that Jesus. Is that really Jesus? Like, I mean, Jesus... I mean, in the days in which Jesus lived, the days in which the first Christians lived, I mean, those were troubled times. Those were violent times. Those were oppressive times. And yet they experienced miracles and joy and love and family. They broke bread together. They went from house to house, exchanging peace in troubled times. And then finally, it says here, In verse 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them the springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You notice that it says living water. If you remember the message I just gave a few minutes ago, Jesus was talking about living water. Jesus was actually not just talking to the Samaritan woman about something she needed right then. He was pointing her to the kingdom of God. Jesus was sharing what is going on in heaven with the Samaritan woman. He's like, you can receive living water. In heaven, you will eternally experience the power of receiving living water that heals, that reconciles, that empowers that strengthens. Jesus is saying, but you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to get that living water. I'm present as living water for you right now. The, the, the church in troubled times ought to be this force in the world that says, you know what? What's going on in heaven, you don't have to wait till you die and get there to experience it. God put our church in this community so that people could experience heaven now. Um, God put our family in this neighborhood. God put me in this school. God placed me in this job. God put me in these relationships so that the kingdom of God, so that heaven could show up in troubled times right now. Because you know what? Troubled people need to experience the kingdom of God. There are people in trouble. You know, I used to think that this text, uh, and I, I don't want to make this sound too complicated, but some people know what I'm talking about. Um, some people use this scripture as kind of an end time scripture. So what it means is when they say these people from tribulation, uh, I used to hear sermons where people would say, before Jesus returns, there's going to be a time when the people that are already Christian, they're going to be raptured. Like they're going to be caught up. Like they're going to go to heaven. And that there, there used to be this book series called Left Behind and a movie series called Left Behind where basically we're saying, you know what, there's going to be a time where everybody that's Christian now, they're going to get a chance to get out of this troubled world and be with Jesus right now. And then the rest of the people that haven't accepted Jesus, they're going to get a chance to accept Jesus, but they're only going to get a chance to accept Jesus during trouble, during oppression persecution. Now, let me try to balance that take on this scripture by saying this. When John, who wrote this book, was writing it, it was during a time when just for being Christian, you went to prison, you were crucified on a cross like Jesus, you were beheaded, you were burned alive. I wonder if John, who was writing this, thought he was living during tribulation. You know, I'm a descendant of slaves in this country. Slaves that it was illegal for them to learn to read. It was illegal for them to have church on their own. They risked their lives learning to read so they could read the Bible. I wonder if they thought they were living through tribulation and troubled times. Right now, there are Christians being persecuted in different parts of this world. I wonder if, if those Christians that are being murdered just for believing Jesus in parts of Africa, in parts of the Middle East, in parts of Asia, 
feel like they're living in tribulation. Troubled times is all around us. Here's the good news. The kingdom of God shows up wherever trouble is. Wherever troubled people are, wherever broken people are, wherever uh, oppressed people are, wherever lost people are, wherever sinful people are, the kingdom of God shows up. But one of the primary ways it shows up is through you and I. Shows up through us. The church is not just supposed to be a bridge over troubled waters. The church is supposed to get wet and get in troubled water. We have to be able to get in the waters of broken families, broken communities. We got to get in Flint, Michigan water, if you know what I'm talking about. Tainted water, messy water. You know what I mean? I mean, swamp water for Jesus so that those waters can be healing water. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I was baptized, but I was baptized old school. I mean, some people get baptized in a nice church or like at a church event where they bring like, you know, like a dunk tank or something or like, uh, uh, you know, inflatable pool and then they pour water in it and you get baptized and the church is there to clap and say, yay. You know, uh, you know, my parents, they were like baptized like in a river. You know, I got baptized at the YMCA. <laughs> In the deep end, though, and I couldn't swim. I was so mad. And like the ba- it was a Baptist pastor, and he like held me down because Baptists think you need to stay down there longer. So I was like, okay, we'll swim, we'll swim. And then he's like, no, down in death with Jesus, up. And then he pushed me back down again, just in case. I was like, golly, really? But, uh, you know, when you become a Christian, you go down in the water. The problem is we've become Christians and we don't want to go in the waters no more. We need to go back in the waters so that other people can come up like we did. So that other people can be changed like we were. So that other people can be loved the way we experience love. It's not just an opportunity for the church to look like heaven. It's an opportunity for the church to operate like heaven so that lives can be transformed. God, let us not just be a bridge over troubled waters. Let us be willing to get our lives in the water with people that need to know you like never before. In troubled times, let the church keep its hallelujah and keep its praise. Let the church become more diverse, not Not for political correctness or nothing like that, or not because, oh, look how cool it would be if we were more diverse, but because I don't know of any other place where divided people can be reconciled and unified like the church. I don't know of anyone who can bring people together that are divided against each other, except you, Jesus, and your church ought to represent that unifying, transformative, reconciling dynamic. So God, here are we. Use us. Love through us. Let us develop testimonies in the midst of trouble. Jesus' name.
listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.